Thank you for coming tonight. I'm going to share with you the rest of the story. I understand some of you were wondering if you were going to hear the rest of the story. In fact, some people asked about it last night. And Larry Bangs told them, come tomorrow night. So I'm glad you're here tonight. The rest of the story is about the change of the seventh day Sabbath to Sunday, the first day of the week. Our topic is titled, Mr. One Day Late. I'd like to start by sharing an illustration with you. The distance between the rails of the railroad in this country is exactly four feet, eight and one half inches. That gauge was used because that's the way they built the railroads in England. And yes, English immigrants are the ones who built the railroads in this country. But why did the English build the railroads with that dimension? The first rail lines were built for non-motorized hauling carts that were pulled by horses along the rails. This was before the railroads as we know them today were built. But why was that gauge used, four feet, eight and one half inches? Well, the reason is because the people who built the tracks for the carts that were pulled by the horses used the same tools that they used for building their wagons. And those tools used the distance of four feet, eight and one half inches to space the wheels. But why did the wagons have to have that particular wheel spacing? Well, the truth of the matter is, if other spacing had been used for the wagon wheels, they would have broken while they were going along on the old rutted English roads. Because that's the spacing of the wheel ruts. So who built the old rutted roads? It was Imperial Rome. They built the first long distance roads for their armies and those roads have been used ever since. Roman war chariots formed the initial ruts which everyone else had to match or they would have broken the wagon wheels. Thus the US standard railroad gauge of four feet eight and one half inches was derived from the original specifications for the Imperial Roman War Chariot. And those chariots were made just wide enough to accommodate the back ends of two horses. Now you know the rest of the story. But wait, there really is more information about the story of the width of the railroad tracks. Consider this. When you see the space shuttle sitting on the launch pad, you can see two big booster rockets attached to the sides of the main fuel tank. Those boosters are made in Utah and they have to be shipped by train from the factory in Utah to the launch pad in Florida. As it just so happens, the railroad line from Utah to Florida runs through some mountain tunnels. Those boosters have to fit through the tunnels and the tunnel is only slightly wider than the railroad track. And the railroad track, as you now know, is only about as wide as the back ends of two horses. So here's the strange truth. A major space shuttle program, which features arguably the world's most advanced transportation system, was determined over 2,000 years ago by nothing more than the width of two horses behinds. It's amazing, isn't it? 
Do you see how we can get so accustomed to doing things we don't stop to think where the beginning of it was? Even though we have long since forgotten, we still continue to do things in a certain way. Jesus discussed this fact with some religious leaders in his day. They were placing tradition above God's will. Let's turn to what the Bible says in Mark 7 verse 9. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own traditions. During the last days of earth's history, Satan has a plan, a devious plan. He wants mankind to accept his counterfeit and follow their own traditions instead of following God's will. As we learned last night, it is God's will that we worship on the seventh day Sabbath. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 10. This is the heart of the Ten Commandments. And we'll read there, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Notice here that God said, Remember. But most of the world has forgotten the day that makes God look good. God is inviting us every seventh day to remember Jesus Christ, who is our Creator and our Redeemer. Sadly, most of mankind is not keeping the Sabbath that God has made for us. Tonight I want to share with you the rest of the story. Prophecy reveals that Satan would attempt to change God's law. Come with me, if you will, to the ancient prophecies of Daniel, where it is foretold that the change of the seventh day Sabbath to Sunday, the first day of the week, would occur. Anyone who fell asleep about 2,000 years ago and awakens in our time will find people worshiping one day later than they did 2,000 years ago. And they might exclaim, Mr. You're one day late. The Bible truth I will share with you tonight is better than many wrapped gifts. Listen to what the prophetic book of Daniel predicted would happen. Daniel had a vision. Let's read from Daniel 7 verses 2 and 3. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Daniel had a dream while he was asleep. He saw a windy seascape. Four different beasts came up out of the sea. What were those four beasts? If you'll recall from an earlier presentation, you might remember in Daniel 2 the image of four metals. The head of gold was Babylon. The breast and arms of silver represented Medo-Persia. The thighs of brass represented Greece. The legs of iron represented Rome. And finally, the feet of iron and clay represent Europe today. But tonight we're in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is not about four metals, as we saw in Daniel 2, but it's about four beasts. Both chapter 2 and chapter 7 teach the same truths about history in the last days. They just use different illustrations. In Daniel 7, the lion represents Babylon. 
The bear represents Medo-Persia and the leopard beast represents Greece. The Bible describes the fourth power that would rise. We've gone quite quickly through the first three beasts, but now things get more interesting. So listen carefully, if you will. Daniel 7, verse 7, says this. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. That's like the ten toes of the statue. Both visions of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 are a succession of kingdoms, but they speak of the same kingdoms. Here prophecy becomes fascinating with greater detail. The Roman Empire fell apart into ten kingdoms, hence the ten horns. Daniel 2 described that division of Rome by the ten toes. And here in Daniel 7, we see the division symbolized by ten horns. In Daniel 7, verse 24, Daniel highlights this by saying that the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Rome was overthrown and the empire was divided. The Bible says that Rome will remain divided until the second coming of Christ. Let's return to history for some more information. We are told that barbarian tribes came down from the north. And to this very day, modern Europe is made up of remnants of ten tribes. Seven of them are listed here. The Alemanni were the Germans, the Burgundians were the Swiss, the Franks became the French, the Lombards became the Italians, the Saxons are the English, the Suevi are the Portuguese, and the Visigoths are the Spanish. And as you can see on the screen, the remaining three tribes, the Heruli, the Vandals, the Ostrogoths, are now extinct. How did those three tribes become extinct? Let's go to the scriptures. Daniel 7 verse 8 tells us that while Daniel was in vision, he was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, that came up. This is number 11. It was coming up among the other ten, before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Daniel said, I was looking at the horns. Then a little power horn came up among the ten horns, and the little horn displaced three of the original ten. Remember those three that were displaced? They are now extinct. But let's find out who in history is this little horn power that appeared among the ten. Verse 8 of Daniel 7 tells us this, And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Verse 24 says, He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. This little horn is different from the other powers. The first ten horns were political powers. But the eleventh horn, it's different. Could it be a religious power? 
Does history teach that a religious power would grow out of the divided Roman Empire? What does history tell us actually happened? Before we answer that question, let's first review what we have read from scripture. Number one, this power arose among ten horns. It comes out of pagan Rome. Number two, it arose after the ten horns. After Rome's breakup, it became the eleventh horn. Number three, it was different from the ten horns. It's not just a political power, but it's also a religious power. Number four, it displaced three kingdoms. It had the ability to make war, and it did so with the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths, and it overthrew them. Number five, it has eyes like a man. This is the symbol of wisdom or intelligence, but these eyes substitute human tradition for the wisdom of God. Now, who is this power? What power arose during the early centuries? Let's return to history to find out what happened. From the book, The Monumental History of Christianity, pages 42 and 43, we read this. Out of the ruins of the Roman Empire, there gradually arose a new order of states whose central point was the Papal See. Therefore, inevitably, resulted a position not only new, but very different from the former. Let's go back to the Bible to see what it says about this little horn power. We go to Daniel 7, verse 25. And I quote, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. This political religious power would try to change God's law, according to Daniel 7. There is only one divine law of the Ten Commandments that deals with time, and it is in the center of the Ten Commandments, the fourth. This power would pretend to change times in the law. How did this happen? How did Satan introduce a counterfeit into the Christian church? For an answer to that question, let's go forward to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Paul warned of a departure from Bible truth when he wrote in Acts 20, verses 28 to 30, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you, men will rise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Again in history, we read this from the book Ancient Church. In the interval between the days of the apostles and the conversion of Constantine, rites and ceremonies of which neither Paul nor Peter had ever heard, crept silently into use and then claimed the ranks of divine institutions. Something was silently creeping into the church and not many people realized what was happening. Traditions crept into the church that claimed divine authority. And each generation since the apostles has accepted these traditions as divine truth. To illustrate this, let's go back 
to Aristotle's day. How many legs do spiders have? In 350 BC, Aristotle said they had six legs. And for 20 centuries, people believed it. No one bothered to count. Until Lamarck, a biologist, counted and discovered that spiders have eight legs, not six. Apparently, the people thought, Aristotle knows what he's talking about. Why should we doubt it? So it was with the Seventh-day Sabbath. Gradually, over the years, over the centuries, the Sabbath has changed, at least according to many people in the world. Little by little, a counterfeit has slipped into the Christian church. Daniel predicted this change when he wrote in Daniel 7, verse 25, they shall think to change times and laws. Let's go back to history and see how this happened. Does the medieval church claim that it changed the Bible Sabbath? After all, you have the right to know the answer for yourself. James Cardinal Gibbons wrote in The Faith of Our Fathers, page 89, You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. He continues saying this, The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. It's true. The scriptures do teach Sabbath observance. To carry it a little bit further, from the Convert's Catechism, there are some questions and some answers that Peter Gearman has put forth in the Convert's Catechism from 1977. The question, which is the Sabbath day? And his answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Another question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? The answer from the Catechism, because the Catholic Church transferred solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. The Catechism is clear. It admits that the Church transferred the sacredness and solemnity of Saturday to Sunday. How dare a Church declare that they have the right to change what God himself has commanded? What does God say in Malachi 3, verse 6, about himself? Would you read it with me? For I am the Lord, I do not change. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, we read this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If the Lord does not change, if he's the same today, and yesterday, and forever, what gives us the right to think that he would decide to change what he had said a long time ago? So the Bible truth is this. Number one, Adam and Eve kept the Bible Sabbath in Eden immediately after they were created. The seventh-day Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments. The seventh-day Sabbath is a sign between God and his people. Jesus kept the Bible Sabbath, and even after he died, his disciples and the apostles kept the Bible Sabbath. Even the weekend of his death and burial and resurrection, he kept the Sabbath, and so did his followers. Number six, Daniel reveals that man would try to change the Bible Sabbath to the day of the sun or Sunday. Let me take a few minutes and explain to you from history how Sunday was substituted for the Bible Sabbath. 
It was a gradual change because there were many social and political pressures. As we spoke about earlier, the Roman Empire was falling apart. Many Jews revolted against the Romans. The Romans, in turn, hated the Jews. Let's number the steps that brought about this change. The first thing, Jews were being persecuted by the Romans. Number two, some Christian leaders wanted to distinguish themselves from the Jews. You see, both Jews and early Christians were keeping the Bible Sabbath, the seventh day. Changing the day of worship was one way to distinguish themselves from the Jews and thereby hope that they wouldn't be persecuted along with the Jews. So the Christians began keeping the first day as early as the second century after Christ. At first they only kept Sunday once a year in honor of Christ's resurrection. Now let's go to step number three. Constantine, who was the emperor, decided that he wanted to unite his kingdom. Remember, it was falling apart. There were two major groups of people in his kingdom. There were the pagans and the Christians. In order to unite his kingdom, he decided to pass the first Sunday law. That meant uniting Christians and sun worshipers. He issued an edict which stated, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and the people residing in the cities rest, and let all the workshops be closed. That edict was signed in AD 321. Later, a church council of Laodicea said this about the Lord's Day. Christians shall not Judaize, which means to keep Sabbath, and be idle on Saturday, the original Sabbath. But they shall work on that day, but the Lord's Day they shall especially honor. We know what day the Lord's Day is, don't we? You know it was not the first day of the week, as the church council had said, because the Bible says the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. However, slowly, over the centuries, Sunday has become accepted in the place of the Bible Sabbath. Jesus warned in Matthew 15, verse 3, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? Friends, the choice is plain. The teachings of tradition or the teachings of the Bible. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him more than the traditions of men? We have a choice to make. Either the Bible is the final authority or it isn't. Either God's word is right or it's not. We know we're living just before Jesus returns to this earth. Do you sense that Christ is calling you, is drawing you closer to him? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We love you so much and we really want to follow you, not the traditions of men. We see that a counterfeit has slipped into the Christian church. Well-meaning leaders were compromised. We understand the great deceiver was the mastermind behind what has happened. He wants to attack your authority, Father, your sovereignty, and undermine your love for us by attacking the day that you have blessed and sanctified as far back as the Garden of Eden. 
He wants to attack the day in the commandment which says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He wants to attack the day that Jesus and the disciples kept. For some of us, this is new information, Lord. But we want to follow Jesus. We want to settle it in our hearts to follow your will as the Bible reveals. Tonight, Lord, we determine in our hearts to follow you at all costs. We ask you to give us the strength, give us the courage to make the right decision. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Annetta, very much for sharing with us. Now I trust that you know the rest of the story of how the change came about. Well, this very hour, Friday night, the Sabbath has begun, hasn't it? And so again, I want to say happy Sabbath to you. And to acknowledge that we really are trusting in Jesus Christ, that we do love him, he's inviting us to obey him. And rather than it being, yes, I believe in the Sabbath, I can see it is right, I want to invite you to come and fellowship with us on Sabbath morning. But we welcome you to come to church tomorrow. Precious Father in heaven, we thank you that you brought us here together tonight. We know that some of the things we've learned are brand new for some of us. Others of us, we've known it for years. Maybe we've been lax in honoring the Sabbath that you've given to us to remember that Jesus is our creator, our redeemer, our restorer, our coming king. And to honor your Sabbath is to acknowledge that we rest in his creative works and in his redemptive works. Lord, we rest in these wonderful things you've done, acknowledging we cannot do it ourselves. Our salvation, our creation has been done by you and not by us. And so, Father, tonight, help us that we would step out by faith and keep your Sabbath and give honor and homage to you and you alone. We thank you so much for speaking through Aneta. We thank you an opportunity that we've had to say yes to Jesus Christ yet again tonight. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.